0: Well, good morning, everybody. Glad you're here today. Uh, I'm excited to get to deliver God's word to you today. And uh, I'm just I'm just always so grateful for a, a, an opportunity like this. Um, again, if, if I haven't gotten to know you very well yet, my name is Tim. Uh, and, and I'm so blessed to be able to serve here at Church of the Creek. Um, and, and Tyler's just been so awesome in giving me opportunities to preach like this. I, I just love it. I want to tell you a little bit more about my story and about my wife and I's story um, as church planters. So uh, we we felt like God was calling us into church planning some years ago. Uh, it would have been about 2014 or so that we really felt, felt it seriously, um, but we weren't set on it yet. We weren't absolutely sure that this is what we're going to do. And it's one of those things where anyone who's done church planning, Tyler will tell you, and anyone else who's done it will tell you, you got to be absolutely 100% sure that it's something that you are called to do because they will tell you, do something else. <laughs> you know, if you can, do something else because it's so hard. Not because they don't love their churches or their people, but because it's legitimately really difficult. And if God's calling you to do something else, then, then sometimes that's easier. Uh, but we were in that, that period of time at the beginning. We were still entertaining the question. We weren't sure. Uh, whether or not we were going to be called to that or not. And so uh, our district sent Hannah and I to something called Exponential. It is a church planting conference. They have uh, they have it every year. They have two conferences. They have one on the East Coast and one on the West Coast. And we got to go to the West one. Uh, this would have been uh, in 2015 in October. And we, we went and we, we got to meet a whole bunch of really great people, a bunch of church planters, Wesleyan church planters, uh, kind of in the whole western half of the U.S. And so uh, we got to meet a lot of really cool people. And uh, just a funny story from that. We, uh, we carpooled with uh, a couple—their their names are Nate and Julie Lamb. Uh, they, they have a church called Front Range. It's over in Littleton. And we uh, had the opportunity to ride with them around for a couple days in, in Irvine, where, where the conference was. And in this rental vehicle, we were riding around and just talking. And it had—Hannah and I, we were the ones that rode, like, the whole time because we weren't on the insurance for it, so—for uh, the rental. So we're sitting in the back, and it's got one of those armrests that comes down in the middle, and it can also be, like, the third seat in the back. You know what I'm talking about? And so we're like, oh, man— we, you know, it's a hot day. We want to relax. The air conditioning's on, so we pull it down. And we look in there, and there's this little baggie. It's about this big. And it's got some sort of powdery, crystalline substance within it. And we, and we hold it up, and we're like, hey, Nate, what's this? <laughs> and he's like, I don't know what it is. You should put it back, you know? Like, and it's like, it's, like, got this reddish tint to it. And so we started calling it the strawberry drugs that we found in the back of the car. And uh, that shows you just how much I know about drugs, that we called it strawberry drugs. Uh, uh, so we, soon as stop we had, we threw it in the trash can out there, and, and that was the end of that. But that was just kind of a, a funny moment during that. But during this whole conference, we're riding with Nate and Julie around the city, and we're talking to them about how we're entertaining this call to, to be church planters. And they're giving us like really good reasons to take it very seriously and to be really careful about saying yes to it, uh, about some of the challenges and difficulties that they had in their ministry in in planting their church and starting that. But they're also telling us about how rewarding it is and how uh, amazing it really is to be called into something like that. And I, I, I remember Nate telling me particularly, there's this part at this conference where they call everybody to the front at the very end and it's, it's like, if you're called to be a church planner, let us pray over you and we're gonna send you, right? At, to, to be church planners, right? And I remember him telling me that every year when he goes to this conference, he sees people going to the front and he's like, no, you don't know what you're saying yes to, you know? And he's, he's trying to get them, you know, like to take it more seriously. And so he's got this opportunity with us in the car. Well, sure enough, that moment comes, we're at this conference, Hannah knows it's coming. I know it's coming. And she turns to me and she says, now, Tim, we know this is coming. I don't want you making an emotional decision. Because I'm the, I'm, I really am the kind of person that would make it. Like, Hannah's not that kind of person. She wouldn't make an emotional one. But I, I'd be the kind of person that's like, wow, this is such an amazing time. Holy Spirit's here. You know, all these people are going forward. And I feel it. And let's go do it, you know. But she's like, this is going to significantly, you know, affect the rest of our lives if we say yes to this. So take it seriously. So I'm like, okay, I'll try not to feel it, right? I'll try, I'll try to make a pragmatic decision about this. But um, the time comes, and I just look over at him, and I'm like, what else would we do? You know, what else could we do that would be to this, this magnitude, this, this calling that we feel like God may be placing in our lives? What else is there? And I grab her hand, we go to the front, and we're, we're prayed over. And I'm going to hit pause on that story. I'll come back to it later and tell you what, what kind of happened next, over the next couple of years. Because it's really important. But, but try to remember that moment, okay? We're at the front, we're being prayed over, we're about to be sent. Okay, That's, We'll hit pause on that, and we'll come back to that. Okay, Because I think the story, uh, as we'll find out at the end, has a lot to do with Moses' story. And I think that it also has a lot to do with your story. I think it has a lot to do with all of us and, and how God calls us. So just to recap from last week, we talked about the world that we live in. How it's a lot like the, the world of, of Egypt at the time of the, books of the book of Exodus. There's a lot of just complete evil out there. They're killing kids. You know, they're, they're, they're trying to decimate an entire people group. And, and the people in this, the Israelites, the, that people group are fearing for their lives at every turn. They don't know what to do. They're being enslaved. They're being beaten. They're being put into forced labor. It's hard. It hurts. It's it's just an evil, broken, broken place. And that's a lot like the world that we live in. If you remember from last week, Tyler talked about that at length. And a lot of people in our world are enslaved. They're a lot like the slaves in Egypt. A lot of people are slaves to all sorts of different things. And the world needs a savior to come and release them from that slavery to freedom. So that's the whole point of this, this message. We're going to be chronicling through this whole story and talking about that. And we see Moses at the end of, of last week, if you remember, he saw that the, the slavery that was going on. And he wanted to put a stop to it. So he takes matters into his own hands, right? And, and what does he do? He kills the slave driver. He kills this Egyptian and finds out that a couple people saw him. And he freaks out and he runs away to a land called Midian. And he kind of starts to just rebuild. He starts over. He, he takes a wife. He becomes a shepherd. He has kids. And he's starting to rebuild his life. That's really where we pick up in the story today. It says in in chapter 2 of Exodus, we're going to be starting in chapter 2, verse 23. It'll be up on the screen. I invite you to read it on your own uh, later also just to fill in the gaps because we're going to have to go fast because it's a large portion that we're looking at again today. But in chapter 2, verse 23 of Exodus, it says, During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out. And their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. Okay, see that? It went up to God. And then it says in verse 24, God heard their groaning. And he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. So all of this stuff in a split second starts to happen. Okay, we see that they prayed in their slavery, in their brokenness. They prayed and asked God for help. And it says that their prayer went up. It says that God heard he remembered his covenant that he made with Abraham to make him a great nation. That he wouldn't be a nation enslaved by Egypt forever, right? He remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then it says God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. Now that, where it says was concerned about them, I like it a little bit better. In the ESV it says, and God knew. That's all it says, and God knew. And that word for knew is a word, uh, it's, it's a Hebrew word, it means, it says Pronounced yada, okay. Say that with me, yada, yada. Okay, and I'm not here to teach you Hebrew today, but that word is just so critically important to so many passages in the Old Testament. It's the same word for the word new when it says that Adam knew Eve and they conceived and had a child. It's that depth of intimacy that it's talking about. That God knew. He knew what was going on. He knew the slavery that they were in. So God, it, it does, it's not just this concern. It's like this deep, painful knowing of what is going on. Does that make sense? And so God does something about this. So Moses, this time, again, he's rebuilding his life in Midian. He's got a family. He's a shepherd. And he's out shepherding his flock. When he sees something Pretty unusual, and I'm pretty sure we would stop for the same thing. He sees the burning bush. Now, you probably have heard of the burning bush before, but just to remind you what it was, it was this it was just a regular old bush, but it says that the Spirit of God came and was within the bush in a flame, and it wasn't consuming the bush. So imagine if. I had a tree here and it was on fire, but the tree itself was just fine. You'd be like, what is going on? How much kerosene did you put on that thing that it's only, you know, it, 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 it was an amazing sight. So he turns to see this amazing wonder. And he goes in and, and God says, Moses, and he calls him. And he says, yes, Lord, he says, this is holy ground. Take off your shoes and come approach me. And he comes. And then we pick up in chapter 3, verse 7 of Exodus. It says, The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them cry out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. That's that word yadah again, right in there. I'm concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them, out, up, out, of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land, out of that land, into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. That's just the name of a bunch of different people groups that were living in that area that he was about to send them to. So what did we see thus far? God hears and God responds. That alone is kind of a big deal Okay, The God that we pray to every day, the God that we come and we we worship to and pray to at church every Sunday, guess what? He hears. And not only does he hear, he has concern. He has a deep knowing and an understanding. And beyond that, he responds. That's pretty incredible. I don't know anyone else that I can do that with. So you see so much of God's heart to deliver here. He wants life. He wants freedom for the people that call on him. So you would think that the story kind of is pretty simple at this point, right? So God hears. He has concern, and he responds. And so he sends Moses. He delivers the people. They go out of Egypt, whatever, right? Now, that's, okay, from like a, a 30 billion foot view, that's what's happening. But when you come in close, there's a little bit more. Let's keep reading and see what Moses says next, okay? Because it's really important. Verse 10. So now go, I'm sending you. This is God again. He says, so now go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Who am I? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. So Moses is like, I don't want to go. Who am I? God is ready to release and send freedom to the people that are crying out for it. And Moses doesn't want to do it. Even though God gives Moses the assurance that he will be with him, it's just not enough for him. Moses says, I, who am I? I? I can't do this. And God's like, I'll go with you. I'll be with you. But it's not enough. In verse 4, Moses answers. He says, uh, this is of chapter 4. He says, what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you. Then the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. So Moses throws it on the ground, and it became a snake, and he ran from it. Okay, so I'm glad that he ran from it. That's a good thing to do if there's a snake that just appears out of the staff you were just holding. I would be totally terrified if that happened to me. So Moses says, God, they won't believe me. So God says, yes, they will. Look, if you do this, like, who else can do that? Who else can do this? It's me. And then he also gives him a few other signs. He gives him the sign where he puts his hand inside his cloak and he pulls it out and it's leprous. It's it's dead, dying flesh falling off his hand. It's white. It says it was white as snow. And God says, now put it back in your cloak. And he does and he pulls it back out and it's all gone. And then he says, if that's not enough. If they don't believe that it's me that sent you after all that, if you take some water and you pour it out on the ground, it'll turn into blood. God says, they will believe you. I am with you. Don't worry. Go. He gives them these amazing signs to let him know that he is with him. But guess what? It's still Not enough for Moses. Jump ahead to verse 10. Moses said to the Lord, Pardon your servant, Lord. I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and tongue. And the Lord said to him, Who gave human beings their mouths? The Lord said, or, sorry, who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. You see, there's this tone that shifts in that particular passage. You see it, you hear it. God starts to seem a little bit frustrated, right? Why? Well, because he's wanting to pour out freedom and life and liberty and wholeness and provision to his people that are actively right now crying out for it. And the person that God chose to send is dragging their feet at every single turn. Despite his many assurances, Moses will not go. So, yeah, God seems a little frustrated. In verse 13, but Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord, please send someone else. It's like, Lord, don't send me. Send someone else. Come on. I I, I don't care what you have to say. I just don't want to do it. Think about this. The very thing that Moses just tried to do himself. To free the slaves from Egypt in one way or another. When he tried to take matters into his own hands and he killed that Egyptian. That, that the very thing he was trying to do, he was unwilling to do because he disagreed with God about the conditions under which it was going to be done. Mainly the person that he was going to send to do it. He's like, God, I'm, I, that's great. I'm not, I'm not the one. Send someone else. Like, I, I'm, I'm all for you doing this. I just don't want to be the one to do it. Don't we do this sometimes? Maybe it's not as overt and and as emphatic as this, but don't we do this sometimes? See, I think many of us, church, I I know many of you, and I, I think that all of you really want God to redeem the enslaved in the world. I have no question about whether or not you want that to happen. No question in my mind. You see, our our world is full of people in slavery, all people, all kinds of people with addictions, sin habits, minds that are just enslaved, in addition to all the people that are actually legitimately, physically enslaved. And we are God's people, and we want to see those people free, even in this community, even in this room, dare I say. We are God's people. I think we want to see this happen. Am I wrong? But sometimes we are unwilling to heed God's sending call because the conditions that surround that call deter us from it. Mainly, who the messenger is. It looks like this God, send me, use me. I'm yours, I'm your servant. I will go wherever you want. Just please don't send me there. Don't make me do that. Don't make me uncomfortable, God. This is my money and my my stuff. I don't want to have to give it up. As long as the things in my life remain mostly undisturbed, I'll go wherever you send me. And again, it's not usually that outward, that overt, that, that blatant, but it's there. And we see how God responds to this in verse 14. It says, The Lord's anger burned against Moses. And he said, what about your brother Aaron the Levite? Okay, I know he can speak well. He's already on his way to meet you, and he will be glad to see you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you, and it will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him, which just means you will speak the same way I'm speaking to you, to Aaron. But take the staff in your hand so you can perform signs with it. So all that this passage shows us is that God is still faithful and he still gets the job done even when we are unwilling to be the one to do it. He still gets it done because he's faithful. He doesn't break his promises. He's never broken a single one. But church, his faithfulness should not be an excuse for us to selfishly resist God's call. His way is truly the best way. And if we keep fighting His plan, we will be under this illusion and this lie that our way is actually the best way. Because we'll say, God, I I stood firm in what I wanted to do. And look, it still happened. It was your plan, right? He uses the good and the bad. It's still going to happen the way He wants it to happen. The question is, are you going to heed the call and be the person for that call when he calls you, when he sends you. The rest of chapter 4 just chronicles Moses' journey back to Egypt, where God shows his faithfulness as the people in Egypt believe that God sent him. He says, don't worry, people will believe that I sent you, right? And right after, right when he gets there, it says in verse 28 of chapter 4, Then Moses told Aaron everything that the Lord had sent him to say, and also about all the signs he had commanded him to perform. Moses and Aaron brought together all the elders of the Israelites, and Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses. He also performed the signs before the people, and they believed. And when they had heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down, And worship. So again, God's faithfulness is present right there because not only did they believe like he said they would, but the message of his concern and his knowing and his love got through. Despite Moses dragging his heels. I can't stress enough God is faithful even when we are not. He follows through on everything that he promises. So let me let me tell you today that the question is not whether you're sent. It's not it's not, is it God's will? It's are you going to be open to that call? Are you going to be open to confess the conditions that you that you see? And by conditions I mean like under one condition. That's the term that we hear sometimes. Like I will do it under one condition. But it's usually like 10 conditions, and it's like, I won't go here, or here, 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 here. I won't do this this and this and this and this. You know what I mean? Those are what I mean by conditions. The conditions that we have that keep us from doing what God is actually telling us to do, despite his many assurances. So perhaps the most important thing to realize is that being sent by God is to be open to where, how, and when he sends you. That's the key. The key to being sent by God is to be open to where, how, and when he sends you. Be open. Let him do it whenever he wants, however he wants, wherever he wants, because he's God. Confess that you have these conditions. If you don't, like I said before, you will continue believing that your way is the best way, and that is a lie God's way is the best way. We should have hearts like the psalmist in Psalm 86, 11, where it says, teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. Just teach me your way. When we are in that place and we have all these conditions and all these fears and we want to just say, ah, no, send someone else. I, it's too big for me. I can't do it. We should say, God, teach me your way. Because I don't see it. (laughs) I don't get it. In fact, I think one of the biggest reasons that we have these conditions in the first place is because we forget his promises. We forget what he promises. That's certainly the case for Moses. Because what was God doing? It says that he remembered his covenant that he made with Abraham. And that's part of why he responds. Because he told Abraham, I will make you a a great nation, and and your children will be innumerable, countless. there will be more than the sand on the beach and the stars in the sky. That's the promise that God made. And guess what? I think Moses truly forgot that. I don't think that Moses really thought that God was going to come through like he said. I think he thought he was going to go to Egypt and be made a fool, or killed, or imprisoned, or worse, I think that's truly what Moses was thinking, which is why he was dragging his heels so much, because he forgot what God had already promised. Here's a few examples for us today, church. Matthew 16, 25 says, For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. John 6, 37. All those the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. These are promises. Remember these. John 14, 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Promises. Promises. There's so many more. That's just a tiny, tiny segment of promises that the Lord Himself made in the Gospels. So we forget these promises. And and on top of that, don't, don't be deceived. Our resistance is subtle sometimes, it's absolutely subtle. It really is. We may say, yes, we'll go, and in the back of our mind, chirping the whole time, we'll be thinking, like, I really, really hope that this doesn't happen this way. I really, really hope that, that something else happens and I don't have to do this. I really, really hope that, that it's going to turn out way better than I could ever imagine because I don't want to do this. That resistance... You know what I'm talking about, right? Because I feel that a lot. If I'm the only one, that would be really sad. That resistance, those are conditions that we have. They're subtle. And it usually doesn't come out until it's been pressed on for a while. And then it comes out, and it's like this, oh, well, you never said anything. You know, like, it's this big deal. So... Confess that you have conditions. Maybe you don't actually know what they are right away. Maybe you do. But confess that you have them. I want to finish the story I began with today. So church planting, right? Hannah and I are called to do it. Absolutely no doubt about it. God has placed that on our hearts. Someday it's going to happen. We've been called to the city of Boulder. And someday we will be there. We'll be planting a church. But it hasn't happened yet. And that was three years ago. Now, maybe that doesn't sound like a lot of time to some of you. Just, I recognize in the grand scheme of things, it's really not. But in, the, in, in that place, in this place, it's felt very, very long. Where, to be honest, when we first said yes, we thought God was going like, to show us where and give us people and give us money and give us a place. And all of this stuff, like really fast. If I'm going to be entirely honest, I think somewhere in the back of our mind, that was one of the conditions. Yes, God, we will do this as long as it happens in our timeline and in the way that we imagine. And there's nothing wrong with having dreams because God can put those there. It's just, do we take those dreams and put them in his hands and let him define those? Because if we don't, they will be full of conditions, Ideas, pictures of what it could be like. And then when it's not, we're disappointed and we feel like God failed us. He didn't fail you, He didn't fail us. We had conditions. And He doesn't fail Moses. We'll see that later. So we were sent. In that time. And we went on our way. And it's been a crazy, unimaginable three years. But we've loved getting to know you. We've loved being here. We've loved the friends and the family that we've made here. We really do. And if it happened our way, we wouldn't know you. To be honest, would we? God teaches us. If we allow our conditions to go by the wayside, he will teach us. He will teach us his ways, like the psalmist says. He will never break his promises. Even if we drag our our heels, he will not (laughs) fail us. So today, I guess my message, if I was going to sum it up into one thing, would be let your yes to God's sending be absolutely unconditional. Unconditional, no conditions. And you're thinking to yourself, like, that sounds really nice. That sounds really nice. But I still have these conditions. That's okay. It's a pure, like, some of these things, I'll be entirely vulnerable and transparent with you. It's taken three years for me to get to the place where I recognize that they're there and that I'm okay with them not being there anymore. And just saying, yes, God, whenever you want, whatever way you want, wherever you want. It takes time sometimes, but the first step of that is recognizing that they're there. So here's what we're going to do. I ask you to bow your heads, close your eyes, get comfortable for a minute, as much as you can. I don't want to do this too fast. I don't want to do this uh, too speedy. I want to give it the time that it needs. But before we come and take communion today and celebrate the Lord's Supper, I want to give you time to ponder and reflect. And you may already know, you may very well know what your conditions are. Uh, It's not a question of if you have them. (laughs) It's what they are. Because, to be honest, we probably all have them. Some of us even have bitterness from broken dreams and conditions that we thought have been broken by the Lord already. So ask yourself this question as you sit there with your eyes closed, everyone's quiet. What conditions do you have? What conditions do you have? Think about all the different areas in your life, all the disappointments of your past, all the ways that things didn't turn out like you thought. I don't think Moses thought he was going to find himself in Midian with a new family and uh, being a shepherd after living in the king's house for his whole life. He may have been very broken, very hurt, wounded, and he had conditions. What conditions do you have? Now, take those if you have them. And if not, that's okay. You can just keep thinking about that. But take those conditions and ask this question What would it look like to ask God to move you beyond those conditions? What would it look like to ask God to move you beyond those conditions? think of it another way. What would you be saying yes to if you said no to those? What would you be saying yes to if you said no to your conditions? Now I want you to hold on to that. Think about that. It may not happen here today but ask God to move you there. Not figuratively like we just did, but confess to him. Say, God, move me there. Like the psalmist, teach me your ways. That I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. Ask him to move you there. And again, this may take a while. That's okay. Just keep praying that. Just keep asking. Keep saying, God, move me there. Teach me your paths. Teach me your way of righteousness. Remove from me any wickedness or any brokenness and heal me in entirety. That's what Jesus died for.